We are going to be in the book of Judges once again this morning. We've been working through the book of, of Judges chapter by chapter, verse by verse, affirming that it is the, the Word of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so we affirm that, and so we want to know what it is that the Word of God has to say for us, even as we walk through challenging texts, including the book of Judges. So we will be in Judges chapter 9. I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but this is something I grew up hearing quite often. We never sin in a vacuum. We never sin in a vacuum. I remember the first time I heard that phrase. I was, I was a small child, so it struck me as quite strange. What do you mean we never sin in a vacuum? How are you even going to get inside of a vacuum cleaner anyway? All right, this is a little, I don't know how old I was when I first heard it, but it just struck me as a strange thing to say. Well, the phrase, of course, refers not to a vacuum cleaner device, but rather to a, a location that is void of atmosphere. Outer space is considered a vacuum. There are vacuum chambers that exist where there are these devices where you can suck all the air out, and so all, what is inside is just absolutely nothing. It is empty. It is completely void of all air and atmosphere, devoid of matter. It is a vacuum chamber. There's nothing there. So the concept of, of sinning in a vacuum carries the idea that, well, if we do sin in a vacuum, we're sinning in an, in an isolated place. It doesn't have any effect on the outside world around us. It doesn't have effect on any people around us because it's just a little inside my little vacuum chamber. It's contained. It's, it's confined. It's, it's sealed off. It can't get out. But the phrase is, we never sin in a vacuum. As much as our flesh seeks to deceive us into thinking that, that our sins, they're not going to have an impact upon others. It's just, well, it's just my little personal sin. It's just, it's just me here. It, it simply is never the case. Sin always has an impact. It has an impact upon us personally in our relationship with the Lord but it also impacts those who are around us. And it can have impacts upon future generations as well. Sins we think that are just, just within our own hearts, they may begin there, but the impact is greater. Sadly, this was the case for the nation of Israel. Two weeks ago, we concluded the story in the life of Gideon, the tragic ending to his story. Often lauded as a hero, Gideon failed at the end of his life to cling to the truth. He failed to submit himself to the king of kings. And as a result, his failures impacted future generations, and they quickly chased after other gods as soon as Gideon died. Gideon, he, he fought off the external threat of the Midianites, but he planted seeds that bore fruit that continued to rot the nation of Israel from the inside. We never sin in a vacuum. Before we get into Judges chapter 9... We are just going to pick up a, a few verses in Judges chapter 8 just to remind ourselves a little bit about where we've been and the conclusion of Gideon's life because the end of chapter 8 really sets up the story of chapter 9. 
It, it sets us up and it begins to anticipate some of the events that are going to take place in chapter 9. But what we're going to see through our study today, we're going to find three consequences of forsaking the king. Three consequences of forsaking the king of kings that were felt within the lives of the Israelites here in the book of Judges and that we need to be aware of within our own lives as well. Three consequences of forsaking the king. And the first is that it forsaking the king impacts generations. Look with me at Judges chapter 8, verse 29. Jerubbabel, and of course this is Gideon's given name. He, his name is Gideon, but he also goes by Jerubbabel. It's the nickname that was given to him. Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also born him a son. I remember that detail. His concubine is from Shechem. And he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abezerites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Baraf their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. If you recall a little bit of the story of, of the, towards the end of Gideon's life as the people were trying to say, hey, wh why don't you be the king? And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to be your king. And yet, he still did kingly things and established himself, perhaps without the title of the king, he still acted like it. He collected a tax, he established himself by setting up the ephod in his hometown, he multiplied wives to himself, and he named his son Abimelech, which means... My father is king. Even though he initially rejected the kingship, it turned out to be a sham rejection. And he led the people into apostasy during his life. And immediately following, the pattern not only continues, but grows. I mean, look at the result in, in verses 33 through 35. They, it says they hoard after these other gods, these false gods of, of Baal and Baal Beroth. They spiritually prostituted themselves, and likely physically as well, because Baal was the fertility deity. It says they did not remember the Lord. That's a phrase we've seen before. Not remembering the Lord. Of course, we talked about how that's not just a that's not just a forgetfulness. Oh, I forgot. Like we're having some kind of spiritual amnesia. No, to forget the Lord is to live without regard for Him. To live as though the things of God and the things that God said, that they don't matter. It's a disregard for the things of the Lord. They forgot Yahweh. In many ways, this is actually more insidious than, than a genuine ignorance, right? I mean, you, you might cut someone some slack for a lack of knowledge, but, but when the information is known, when we know what the Word of God says and we still choose to reject that and, and live as though it doesn't matter and it doesn't have an impact, there's a serious offense before Almighty God. Every time we choose sin over the things of the Lord, we make the same error. It is 
And if it were not for the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, we would have to give an account for those things. Well, the Israelites, they forgot their Lord. And it says also they failed to show loyalty to Gideon. Now, that might seem like an interesting thing. Like, okay, why does it matter if they're showing loyalty to Gideon? I mean, Gideon didn't exactly end well, right? He had a pretty rough ending. Why does it matter if we have to show loyalty to him? Well, the reality is, is that despite Gideon's shortcomings, God did some amazing things in the life of Gideon. And God used Gideon powerfully to free them from the hand of Midian. And so to fail to show loyalty and steadfast love to Gideon's household was to disregard what God had done through Gideon. Well, how did they fail to show that loyalty? Well, that's, we find that story in chapter 9. And so we're going to read through this, and, and you have to forgive me, there's a, this is a lengthy chapter. We're going to try to get through it all. I'm going to read quickly as we read through the text. So pardon me even right now, just forgive me for that. But bear with me as I seek to read quickly through the story. And we'll stop and make notes and observations along the way. But Judges chapter 9, verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am, bo- you, I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Shechem. For they said, well, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of baal Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows and followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, Seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Drumble, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all, and all Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of, of the pillar at Shechem. <coughs> so Abimelech desires to be king, so he makes this deal with Shechem. Instead of, instead of all the family of Gideon ruling over you, which which implies that's what was happening, that there were all these 70 sons, they were ruling over the clans there. He says, well, what if it was just me? After all, hey, I'm half Shechemite. Remember, his, his mother was from Shechem. And so, it seemed like an advantageous thing to the Shechemites if someone from their own blood, someone from their own family was ruling over them, that would give them a privileged position amongst all the cities and the clans amongst they lived. And so they gave him money, pulled out of the false idol temple, and he used that money to hire murderers for all of his half-brothers. He consolidates power and ensures that that no one else is going to be able to claim the throne. He establishes himself. And notice one detail in verse 5, just for a second here. It says, he killed them all on one stone. I want you to make note of that detail, put it in your back pocket, hold on to it, because we're going to come back to that. That's going to be a, a detail that we're going to come back to later on. I'm not going to make any further comment now, but just remember that for later. But here we already see the sins of Gideon 
and the seeds that were sown in Gideon's life beginning to bear fruit with his own children. Gideon feigned a rejection of the kingship and yet still established himself as king. Abimelech, his son, whose name it means, my father is king, perhaps he was inspired by his own name, perhaps he saw what his father had done and said, you know, I'm going to take things just a little bit further. No, he doesn't feign a rejection of kingship, but he explicitly says, no, you make me the king. I will be ruler over you. In any case, he begins to sow additional seed and the chickens are going to come home to roost before the end of the chapter. Gideon feigned a denial of the kingship. He forsook the king of kings. He led the people into idolatry. And his son, rather than seeking to correct that mistake and seeking the king of kings, he does likewise. He forsakes Yahweh and seeks to multiply power unto himself. Gideon's sin not only had national implications, but generational implications. God warns in his law how the sins of the fathers can impact the further generations of the third and fourth generations of those who reject him. The only way out of that is through repentance and submission to the king. But there is a way out. Right, right, this, this pattern doesn't have to persist. It doesn't have to be the way things go. But sadly, Abimelech does not seek that way out. And so we have these events, and we have a warning from Jotham. Right? And in fact, by the end of the chapter, this is going to be called a curse of Jotham. The one son who has escaped the massacre. Pick things up in verse 7. When it was told to Jotham, he went and, and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said, or shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are, are honored and hold sway over the trees? <coughs> and the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, or shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done to him as all his deeds deserve, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and if you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative." If then you have acted in good faith and integrity <coughs> and with Jerubbabel and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech. 
his brother. Jotham, he tells a parable of sorts or a fable. He challenges the people, if you have acted in good faith, then, then all is well. But if not, let judgment fall upon both you and him. May you both be burned. The bramble, of course, is a, it's kind of like a thorn bush. It doesn't provide shade. It doesn't provide anything of value. It is worthless. The only thing that it is good for is kindling. And the rest of the chapter explains how Jotham's story, it unfolds just as he said. Forsaking the king impacts generations. But we also see that forsaking the king breeds treachery. Forsaking the king breeds treachery. We've already seen the first act of treachery with the murder of his brothers, of Abimelech's brothers. When God is not the king, when we are in rebellion against him, there's no limits to what we will do for our own self-interest. Abimelech was willing to murder his brothers, but the treachery does not stop there. Let's continue to follow the story Verses 22 and following, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the brothers of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem, rather. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the violence done to the 70 sons of Drubbel might come, and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. Here's the first hint of of God's part in this and what God is doing. What Abimelech did was evil. What the leaders of Shechem did was evil. So God is, is bringing about judgment upon them. The treachery continues. It continues to unfold and build. And there's not just one thing, but, but when there's treachery within the camp, when it becomes clear that, that individuals are willing to do whatever it's necessary for their own self-interest, it sparks additional acts of self-interest, knowing that, that you're not dealing with honest people at that point. When God is not your king, what will you be willing to do for your own self-interest. Let's read on, and I'm going to read this lengthy passage here, verses 25 down through verse 40. Well, I'm at verse 26, rather. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God, and they ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. The man that they set up as king, now they are having second thoughts. And, and Gael, verse 28, Gael the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel, and is not Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that his people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. 
<coughs> when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. When Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gael spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land. And one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. You look at this text, there's, there's layers upon layers of, of treachery and, and, and uh, betrayal in the midst of this. There's Gale's rebellion and there's, there's Zebul's deceit in the midst of things. When we are not in submission to the King of Kings, there's no reason why we shouldn't do all these things and more for our own self-interest in our own self-advancement, for our own selfish pur- purposes. I mean, we see this true even within our own culture, right? I mean, if we just look around at the world around us, so many are acting within their own self-interest rather than considering others. I mean, look at the millions of babies that have been murdered even by their own mothers through abortion. Our politicians routinely do just enough to secure re-election with their constituency rather than genuinely pursuing what is right. And I think if we were honest, we would find that this was true even within our own hearts and lives. You know, growing up, I used to get in trouble for some things that I didn't do. And things like just drawing on the wall or, or breaking something, I, I, would, I would be confused by this. Well, one day I found out why I got in trouble for so many of those things that I didn't do my sister would sign my name on the things. Where the drawing on the wall would be, she would write my name and mimic my five-year-old handwriting or my seven-year-old handwriting. And so it looked like I was signing my own masterpiece in the midst of it. Like, I didn't do it. It's my sister. I've seen examples of this even though just, just... working in trades and such, and some of the things that some contractors will do. I've seen house flippers cover up things that need to be fixed in the, for the sake of saving money and trying to sell a house quickly and making a quick buck. What won't we do in the name of our own self-interest? Deception. Treachery. Betrayal. In the name of Serving ourselves. Forsaking the king breeds treachery. 
finally, when the chickens do finally come home to roost, the consequence of all these things is ultimately the judgment of God. And forsaking the king does ultimately bring judgment. Verse 41. And Abimelech lived at Arumah, and Zebel drove out Gael and his, his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it and razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered the stronghold of the house of el Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his, his bundle and following Abimelech put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and the women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in, and they went up to the roof of the tower. Then Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it, and he drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He was going to do the same thing he did to this tower as he did to the other one. Verse 53, and a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. And the point of all of this is found now in verses 56 and 57. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Abimelech became the bramble from Jotham's fable. He devoured the trees. He was God's vehicle of judgment upon the wicked people of Shechem. But he also endured the judgment of God himself at the very hands of those he was judging. He himself was not immune to his own flames and he was consumed himself. Remember earlier how I said to hold on to that one detail about Abimelech killing 70 men on one stone? Well, here we have in a twist of irony, Abimelech kills 70 men with one stone, and now he was, by one stone, he is undone as the millstone falls upon his head. Just as he used the influence of, of his own mother to consolidate power, 
so too by a woman's hand he loses everything. Forsaking the king brings judgment. Sin has consequences. There's another saying that I learned from my from my pastor growing up that perhaps you've heard before. I, he probably borrowed it from someone else as well. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. And we can see that illustrated just within the life of Abimelech. A man who forsook the king of kings just as his father done, walking in his father's sins. And judgment came upon him. Verse 57 speaks of the curse of Jotham, of course referring to the bramble. God's law speaks of the curse of sin upon the third and fourth generations. That's, that's a reality that, that we find in God's word that that was there, that those who were under that covenant that God had made with the people of Israel, that that's what they had agreed to. The question becomes, is there a way out? Is there a way to escape this? If this, this is the result of forsaking the king, it has an impact upon future generations. The, the, the decisions that we make in this life, the, the sin that we can commit can have an impact upon future generations. Is there a way out of that? Are we trapped in this? Are we stuck in this reality? Of course, there is a way out, and we praise God that He has made that way for us. Repentance, repentance and submission to the King of Kings. Of course, for us standing here, this side of the cross, our first act of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ is belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Israelites lived before the cross. They, they looked forward to the coming Redeemer that would one day come. And we stand here looking backwards to the cross of Christ Beholding what he has done. The only way out of judgment is through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so he calls to us. He beckons us. He calls us to follow him. Forsaking the king of kings only leads to disaster. The solution is submission to his loving, fatherly rule over our hearts and our lives. Of course, this doesn't mean that we will never have trouble. This doesn't mean that we will not face consequences for our sins here and in this life. But it does mean that when we place our faith in Christ, ultimately the, the price has been paid for that sin. And then when we do sin, that First John says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. We must look to Christ, the curse breaker, the soul saver. We must look unto Him, not to ourselves. And that's what we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning. Is that there's nothing that we can add from our own goodness. We must look to the King of kings and Him alone. This is what the people of Israel were forgetting. 
This is the whole story of the book of Judges. As we've seen, these, these cycles go around and the people get worse and worse. And now at this point in the city, they are thoroughly canonized. Right? There's no thought to the Lord within their lives. They have thoroughly forsaken their God. And this is where it has led them. And judgment falls upon them. They needed the king. And now today we know who that king is. His name is Jesus Christ, and he calls us to come before him today. So I encourage us today as we consider this, this text from the book of Judges that, that we would reflect with sobriety knowing that, that our actions have consequences and they can impact future generations and that it breeds treachery and it breeds additional treachery even within relationships with one another, and it ultimately brings judgment. But the way out is through the King of Kings, the one before whom every knee will one day bow, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So let's go to Him in prayer now. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank you for what you have provided for us. Lord, I pray that we would take warning from the life of Abimelech. Lord, may we not forsake you. Every time we forsake you, Lord, we, we sin and we bring about trouble within our own lives. We never sin in a vacuum. It always has an impact on us and on those around us. But Lord, I thank you so much that you have provided Jesus Christ, the only way to you, the only way to, to not face eternal judgment from your hand is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So I thank you and praise you for that reality. I pray that we would, each of us, be resting in Jesus Christ. I pray that each one of us would be seeking to live our lives according to your word in submission to the King, that we may honor you as we walk this earthly life. pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we close our time